Chapter Two of the Hemlock Avenue Mystery. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two. I follow in your footsteps, not for the first time. The words echoed in Lyon's mind like a rebus which he must solve. There was a puzzle in them. Could he, by turning them and trying them, find the answer? Of course, it wasn't really his business but for some reason the puzzle haunted his mind. He had an assignment that evening to report a concert given at the Hemlock Avenue Congregational Church, under the auspices of certain ladies sufficiently prominent in society to ensure a special reporter. He had timed himself to reach the church a little before nine, and as he walked briskly up the north side of Hemlock Avenue, his attention was attracted by the opening of a door in a house on the opposite side of the street. The light, streaming out toward him into the snowy whiteness of the night, showed a man at the door parleying with the maid-servant within. After a moment the door closed, and the man came slowly down the steps. He appeared to hesitate when he reached the street, then he turned up the avenue in the same direction that Lyon was going, and almost opposite him. As he passed under the street lamp, Lyon saw, with a sudden quick pleasure, that the man was Lawrence. He was walking laggingly, with his head bent. At the corner he turned south on Grant Street, and so soon passed out of sight. Lyon's lively personal interest in Lawrence made him glance back at the house where his hero had evidently made an ineffective call and wonder who it might be that lived there. Hemlock was an avenue that carried its air of sublimated respectability in every well-kept lawn and unfenced lot. Each house was set back from the street and was detached with trees and concrete walks and front lawn and backyard of its own. It was not a show street, but it was supremely well-bred. It struck Lyon, newly come from a busier city, as curious that, but for himself, Lawrence was the only person moving in the street. Not even a policeman was in sight. This same seclusion and peace brooded over the scene when he retraced his way down that block on his early return from the concert an hour later. He was commenting upon the stillness to himself when he heard the sound of running feet approaching, and in a moment he saw the figure of a woman come running wildly toward him. About the middle of the block she cut diagonally across the street and ran into one of the houses opposite. Lyon had instinctively quickened his own pace, for her panic flight suggested that she was pursued, but he could see no one following her. Then he noticed that the house where she had run in was, curiously enough, the same house where Lawrence had called earlier that evening. She had not gone in at the front door, but had run around to the side of the house. "'Some servant-maid who has overstayed her leave,' he thought. She ran well, though. Uncommonly good form for a kitchen girl. Bet she's had gymnasium work, whoever she is. Reaching the end of the block, he stopped and looked up and down the cross street, Sherman, from which the girl had seemed to come. There was no one in sight. The street, 
snowily white and bare in the light of the gas lamps, lay open before him for long blocks. The music from a skating rink in the neighborhood came gaily to him on the frosty air, and an electric car clanged busily in the near distance. As he moved on, his eye was caught by something dark on the white snow at the edge of the pavement. A black silk muffler it proved to be when he picked it up. Had the girl dropped it or merely hurried past it? It was a man's muffler. He was about to toss it back into the street when some instinct, the professional instinct of the reporter to understand everything he sees, made him roll it up and tuck it instead into his overcoat pocket. He hurried on, meaning to catch the next car a few blocks below, when the shrill and repeated call of a policeman's whistle cut across the night. Lyon stopped. That sharp and insistent call suggested a more exciting story than his church concert. He hurried back to Sherman Street, and halfway down the block, midway between Hemlock Avenue and Oak Street, he saw the officer standing. It was not until he came close up that Lyon saw the gray heap on the ground near the officer's feet. "'What's up?' he demanded. "'Man dead,' the officer answered laconically. Running feet were answering the signal of the whistle, and in less time than it takes to tell it, they were the center of an excited crowd. Donahue, the police officer, ordered the crowd sharply to stand back while he sent the first watchman who had come up to telephone for the patrol wagon. "'If anyone is hurt, I am a physician,' one man said, pushing his way to the front. "'He's hurted too bad for you to do him any good,' Donahue said. The physician knelt down beside the fallen man, however, and made a hasty examination. "'The man is quite dead.' he said at length. There is a bruise on the temple. The blow probably killed him instantly. But he has been dead a few minutes only. At that there were excited suggestions that the murderer could not have got far away, and someone proposed an immediate search of the neighborhood. But no one started. The center of interest was in that gray-clad heap on the ground. "'Who is the man?' "'Do you know who it is, officer?' someone asked. Donahue, obviously resentful of the presence of this unauthorized jury, made no answer. Lyon, watchful professionally for all details, suddenly recognized Lawrence in one of the men who stood nearest the body. There was something in the fixity of the look which he was bending upon the dead man that made Lyon's eye follow his, and then in his amaze he pushed past Donahue and knelt to look into the face resting against the curb. "'Good heavens! It's Fullerton! Warren Fullerton, the lawyer!' he cried. The volley of exclamations and questions which he drew down upon himself by this declaration were interrupted by the clang of the patrol wagon, which came down the street at a run. The three men on the wagon swung themselves down and cleared the crowd out of their way in a moment, and expeditiously lifted the limp gray body in. Donahue swung himself on the step, and the wagon drove off at a decorous gait, 
leaving another police officer on the ground to watch the rapidly dispersing crowd. Lyon, well aware that a more experienced hand than his own would be assigned to work up the story he had stumbled upon, deemed it his duty to report at once to the office, instead of trying to do anything further on his own account, and hurried away to catch the car downtown. A man came up behind and fell into his own hurried gait to keep pace with him. "'You've struck an exciting story,' said Lawrence's voice. "'Yes,' said Lyon eagerly. His eagerness was more due to the pleasant surprise of having Lawrence single him out to walk with than to anything else. His secret hero-worship had never brought him anything more than a friendly nod before. "'Are you going to write it up?' "'I'll have to report for instructions. They'll probably send someone else up to the station to follow matters up, but perhaps the city editor will let me write up this part of it.' "'You have a good deal of responsibility,' said Lawrence. "'Responsibility?' "'I mean in the way of influencing public opinion.' "'I have nothing to do but to tell the facts.' and there aren't many of them yet. "'You have to select the facts to speak of,' Lawrence said. He was keeping up with Lyon's quick pace, but his voice was so deliberate that it made Lyon unconsciously pull up. "'I suppose so.' "'If you wanted to make a sensational report, for instance, you could work in the peaceful night and the deserted street and other things that really have no relation to the facts.' in such a way as to connect them in the public mind. Yes, I suppose so. That's what I meant about your responsibility. Responsibility to the public and responsibility to the individuals you may happen to work into your story. Lyon nodded. He felt that there was something behind this not yet clear to him. You were fortunate in being on the spot. You must have been the first man there. I was close behind you, I think. I was not far behind you when you came down Hemlock Avenue." Then suddenly Lyon understood. It was quite as though Lawrence had said, "'I hope you will not consider it necessary to mention that a minute or two after the time of the murder you saw a woman running in terror from the spot and going into a house where I call.' He had quite forgotten the running girl for the moment. Now the sudden bringing together of the two ideas staggered him. "'There are things that once said can never be unsaid,' said Lawrence. "'Yes.' "'That's why I am glad it has fallen into your hands to write it up, instead of into the hands of some sensation-monger who would not have the instinct of a gentleman about what to say.' and what to leave unsaid. By the way, it was you who identified the man as Fullerton, wasn't it?" "'Yes,' said Lyon, slowly. He recalled the fixed look that Lawrence had bent upon the body in silence. It was impossible that he had not recognized his enemy in the dead man. Why had he held back the natural impulse to speak his name? I'll look for your report with interest. And, by the way, don't you lunch at the Tillamook Club? Look me up some day. 
I'm usually there between one and two. Glad to have seen you. Good night. Lyon found that story more difficult to write up than he had anticipated. End of chapter 2